If somebody else uttered the exact same words that I uttered, they'd say, what a great statement, what a wonderful statement. Mm, yeah, I don't think so. He's always the victim, isn't I got the feeling that something right. No, no. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. In Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on WLPP 102.9. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day of the week on the on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, at least five days a week. Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. You know, I think it is no small measure of how the world has changed since the era of Donald Trump began that I now, more often than not, actually look forward to our latest Green News report with Desi Doyen. <laughs> As a respite, as an oasis, uh, if you will, from our um, immediate anxieties. It used yeah. to be the other way around. Des. Are you not enjoying all this winning that we're doing? Well, uh, you know, it, for so many years, uh, the Green News Report <clears throat> was, uh, well, sort of a punch in the face sometimes <laughs> at the end of the show. No matter how well, uh, you know, things otherwise seem to be going during the show. There was that uh, dark, looming Green News. Now it's like, hey, that'll lighten things up. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Yes, it's true. It's true. So we will look forward to that today, no matter how uh, bad things go here <laughs> until then. Uh, yes, now that Donald Trump has uh, begun to fully drain the nation's strategic trauma reserves, so much else seems quaint, doesn't it, Des? It kind of uh, does. It does. Uh, like, for example, the potential for millions of Americans to lose their access to health care under Trump's continuing calls to repeal and replace Obamacare despite the recent dramatic failure uh, for Republicans to have done so in the U.S. Senate. Yes, yeah, seems quaint now. Anyway, aside from uh, it doesn't seem quite apparently to Trump because he in the middle of all of this apparently has plenty of time to uh, to harangue Senator Mitch McConnell, the majority leader from his own party in the in the U.S. Senate uh, to harangue him on Twitter to to get him to somehow 
that haranguing, I guess, he thinks will help to kill the Affordable Care Act. Hey, if nothing else works, surely being mean to Mitch McConnell yeah, will work. really get what him could, to do something. Yeah, why, what could possibly go wrong there? The, the president, of course, on his own has considerable powers to undermine and to sabotage and otherwise hasten failure of the landmark Affordable Care Act, if he so wishes. And apparently, he so wishes. We'll be joined uh, shortly by TPM's Alice Olstein shortly uh, with her exclusive on the latest way that the president of the United States, um, amidst all of this, the latest way that the administration is working hard to make sure that the laws of the land are not being faithfully executed, at least when it comes to health care. All right. But first, uh, back to uh, Donald Trump's hastening of World War Three today. President Donald Trump stood by his bellicose rhetoric on North Korea on Friday, telling leader Kim Jong-un that he, quote, will truly regret it and he will regret it fast if he issues an overt threat or attacks Guam or a U.S. ally. This man will not get away with what he's doing, believe me. And if he utters one threat, in the form of, a, of an overt threat, which, by the way, he has been uttering for years, or if he does anything with respect to Guam or any place else that's an American territory or an American ally, he will truly regret it, and he will regret it fast. That was Donald Trump amidst his 17-day working vacation at his golf course in suburban New Jersey. Uh, that vacation has been dominated by an uptick in rhetoric with North Korea, with Trump first promising fire and fury. If the isolated nation continues to threaten the U.S., Trump stood by that statement on Thursday, saying it might not have been tough enough and uh, further up the rhetoric on Friday. In response to Trump's comments, North Korean officials have indicated that they plan to strike near Guam with missiles by the end of this month. Or at least they plan to present that plan to North Korean leader Kim Jong-un for approval. That threat has ratcheted up concerns within the Trump administration, which in turn has ratcheted up their own rhetoric against North Korea. Trump also blamed his predecessors for discord in the Korean peninsula, his own predecessors, previous presidents, saying that the current rhetoric is an extension of past failures and he has no choice. He's got no choice. But to respond to the rogue nation, I guess, in the way he is now doing. Foreign policy and national security experts have raised questions about Trump threatening um, North Korea, according to CNN, noting that uh, past administrations have tried to avoid the president commenting on North Korea's threats in order to avoid giving them credibility. Asked about this on Friday, Donald Trump denied that anyone's actually unhappy with his rhetoric. What critics? It's just people who don't like him. Mr. President, you've said you wanted to send a strong message to North Korea. What do you say to your critics who say that your rhetoric is actually raising the tension? Well, you know, my critics are only saying that because it's me. If somebody else uttered the exact same words that I uttered, they'd say, what a great statement, what a wonderful statement. They're only doing it, but I will tell you, we have... Tens of millions of people in this country that are so happy with what I'm saying. Really? Do we? Tens of millions of people? I hadn't noticed that. I hadn't noticed that either. Uh, the polling that I've seen uh, suggests that people are not very happy with what you are doing, Mr. President. 
Trump's rhetoric and North Korea's response have unsettled powers in the Asia-Pacific region with some scrambling to respond to the escalation of tensions. Russia called on the Trump administration to, yes, please keep calm. And on Friday, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov told state media that his country was working with China on a, quote, double freezing plan in order to address the threat. Lavrov said Kim Jong-un freezes any nuclear tests and any missile launches under this theory. And the U.S. and South Korea agree to freeze large-scale military exercises. Lavrov said that, adding that North Korea regularly cites those drills by the U.S. and South Korea as justification for its missile tests and its, uh, and its nuclear program. So uh, will Russia prove to be a savior here in this situation? Maybe. There have been many periods of heightened tensions between the U.S. and North Korea over the years, the Washington Post notes, but that's become especially bad uh, over this past year in April and August of this year when South Korea and the U.S. conducted joint military exercises that North Korea considers preparation for an invasion which is exactly what they tell their their people. That's what they've been telling them for years. And now you've got the president of the United States at least suggesting uh, that that could be true. The Washington Post asked a range of experts in both the U.S. and South Korea if this was if this time uh, this rhetoric was any different and how worried we should be about conflict breaking out accidentally or otherwise. And I was struck uh, with how many of the experts that they talked to who have followed North Korea for decades, how many of them said that, in truth, North Korea's rhetoric is pretty much the same as it has ever been. And therefore, nothing really to worry about on its own, since, in truth, they are not a suicidal country. I've seen that uh, from many experts over the past several days. But the difference here is now that Donald Trump is using North Korean-like rhetoric on his own in response, and that has made things far more dangerous. If only these various experts all almost all seem to know, because the reckless rhetoric could lead to a regrettable accident on either side. Almost every person the Washington Post talked to referred to that. For example, Dion Kim, visiting senior fellow at the Korean Peninsula Future Forum, specializing in nuclear non-proliferation, said there is an enormous difference between speaking North Korea's language and firing verbal bombs and, frankly, engaging in a dangerously childish shouting match. Uh, <laughs> words by the president of the United States matter. He said irresponsibly throwing around nuclear war threats could spiral into accidental and inadvertent conflict from miscalculation and mishap. The Kim regime, he says, is not suicidal to lodge the first strike, but one never knows if it's given any reason, even a misinterpreted one, to hit the button. That accidental strike may not even be targeted at the U.S., but rather at South Korea or Japan. Allison Evans, deputy head of the Asia-Pacific desk at IHS Markets Country Risk Team, said, In this kind of brinksmanship, the potential for miscalculation is high, particularly relative, relating to the assessment of what constitutes imminent hostile intent by the other side and their likely reaction to a given potentially escalatory action. 
So, uh, the, and one, one after another seemed to say the same thing. They were concerned that uh, there could be misinterpretation of something that the other side does, then the button is hit, and then, boom, it's too late. And I don't necessarily mean the nuclear button, but any button here could cause tens of thousands of casualties, uh, including tens of thousands of U.S. Ca- casualties in, uh, in Japan, in South Korea, etc., Yoon Young Kwan, former South Korean foreign minister and a professor emeritus in international relations at Seoul National University, said the biggest risks in, in a situation like this one are misunderstanding, misperception and overreaction. The fact that both President Trump and Kim Jong-un share a leadership style that values unpredictability raises chances of misunderstanding and or misperception. It is important that the U.S. does not push North Korea into a dead end so that they feel they are left with no options. During the Cuban Missile Crisis, he notes, former President Kennedy made sure the U.S. did not box in Khrushchev in order to maintain peace. So there is some irony here in the fact that Russia may end up being a savior here to help broker peace in some way. That, by the way, is just one reason why I believe maintaining or restoring at this point a good relationship with Russia makes sense, at least to me. But on our on our uh, on our previous broadcast, we spoke with uh, Voice of America's 26 year Asian bureau chief, now White House bureau chief Steve Herman, who, in fact, confirmed that there are still that uh, North Korea is not yet at least boxed in, at least diplomatically. There are still uh, at least available some back channels that they can work through, that the U.S. can work through, that in fact they are working through between the U.S. and the U.K., Um, This is, you know, at least there are ways for the U.S. and North Korea to talk, to try to work this out, to try to send messages to avoid the, you know, the chances of misunderstanding and misperception and so on and so forth. That was from uh, VOA's uh, Steve Herman, who said that, uh, you know, there is at least a way. I took some hope from this. I know I realize I'm grasping at straws sometimes here. Um, But there is a way out of this, what seems right now to be a deadly dead end in, you know, a way to avoid military conflict that would frankly end well for nobody, for nobody. Here's part of what Steve Herman told me about those uh, those ongoing back channels. There has been an unwillingness uh, to have negotiations about negotiations, (laughs) at least officially. But I can tell you there have been track two talks. There have been secret contacts that have been going on, uh, even with this administration, on a, on a, a very uh, a fleeting uh, level. There, there's been the New York Channel for many years where there were talks uh, that would be held uh, between uh, U.S. officials and North Korean officials uh, from their U.N. delegation. That has been tremendously scaled back, but there are always ways for these two countries to talk to each other. So that was Steve Herman of VOA. Uh, you heard him talking about that New York channel. Uh, that's what smart people who listen to the broadcast learned about in our previous episode uh, from Steve Herman. And today now, the AP further confirms Herman's reporting on that. Uh, they report, uh, beyond the bluster, the Trump administration has been quietly engaged in back-channel diplomacy with North Korea for several months, the Associated Press has learned. 
Well, broadcast listeners learned that uh, many days ago. <laughs> uh, it had long been known that the two sides had discussions to secure the June release of an American university student, but it wasn't known until now that the contacts have continued or that they have broached matters other than uh, U.S. De- detainees in North Korea. People familiar with the contacts say the interactions have done Uh, Nothing thus far to quell tensions over North Korea's nuclear program and missile advances, which are now fueling fears of military confrontation. But they say the behind the scenes discussions could still be a foundation for more serious negotiations, including on North Korea's nuclear weapons. Should President Donald Trump and North Korea leader Kim Jong Un put aside the bellicose rhetoric of recent days and endorse a dialogue? The contacts AP Uh, confirms are occurring regularly between Joseph Yun, the U.S. envoy for North Korea policy, and Pak Song-il, a senior North Korean diplomat at the country's U.N. mission. According to U.S. officials and others briefed on the process, they weren't authorized to discuss the confidential exchanges and spoke on condition of anonymity. Officials call it the New York Channel. As Steve Herman said, Yun is the only U.S. diplomat in contact with any North Korean counterpart. The communications largely serve as a way to exchange messages, allowing Washington and Pyongyang to relay information. Drowned out by the furor over Trump's warnings to uh, North Korea of fire and fury like the world has never seen, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson has expressed a willingness to entertain negotiations and even hinted at an ongoing back channel. I guess this is one of those back channels. He said uh, at an Asian security meeting in the Philippines this week, quote, we have other means of communicating open to them to certainly hear from them and if they desire to want to talk. The interactions could point to a level of pragmatism in the Trump administration's approach to the North Korean threat, despite the president's dire warnings. Feel better, Des? Uh, well, you know, I would because I sounds like there are some sane people in the administration who are trying to use these back channel conversations, folks that have some experience in dealing with North Korea and keeping these conversations going. But I don't think that Trump is grasping this concept that, hey, you know, if you just back off the rhetoric a little bit, we might actually get something positive. Clearly, he is under the impression that the only way to get North Korea to pay attention is with that kind of rhetoric. And um, the, the fact is, clearly, that's not true. There have been these back channel negotiations ongoing. So, uh, you know, whether he's doing one thing uh, for the public and they're doing something else in uh, in private is unknown, but there is a way out of this quagmire as long as Donald Trump doesn't close those options. The State Department did not immediately comment on Yoon's diplomacy through that New York channel. The White House also had no comment. Contrary to public vitriol of the moment, the North Koreans were willing to reopen the New York channel, according to Keith Luce, executive director of the National Committee on North Korea, a U.S.-based group that promotes U.S.-North Korea Uh, engagement. They were willing to reopen that New York channel following the election of President Trump and his administration signaled an openness to engage in talks about talks, says Luce. However, the massive trust deficit in Pyongyang and in Washington toward each other has impeded the confidence building process necessary to have constructive dialogue. So it's there, whether it's used or not, 
remains another question. The two countries, of course, have no official diplomatic ties. They are still enemies officially, having only reached an armistice, not a peace treaty, after the uh, 1950 to 1953 Korean War. We spoke with Herman about that as well a little bit yesterday. 28,000 U.S. troops are still uh, stationed in South Korea. And uh, Herman indicated that, yes, North Korea very much would like to sign a peace treaty. That sounds like a fine idea. Sounds like a fine idea to me. Uh, I would think the U.S. would want to sign a peace treaty with North Korea. North Korea is apparently assessing its options, according to Susan DiMaggio, a senior fellow at the New American Think Tank, who participated in unofficial talks with North Korean officials in Oslo as recently as May. They were also attended by Yun. Um, she said they recognize that at some point they have to return to the table to address what's becoming a crisis. That's what they are weighing right now, the timing of the engagement. To date, the Trump administration has heavily concentrated its diplomatic energy on cranking up international pressure on North Korea's government, in particular pressing China to lean on its wayward ally. According to AP, uh, Trump has been widely accused of injecting a new element of unpredictability and even chaos into U.S. policy toward North Korea, especially with his tweets and proclamations this week. It's unclear what effect that will have on the back channel contacts, uh, contacts being maintained by Yun. So there is a way out as long as Donald Trump doesn't screw it up. Not that he ever would. Uh, okay. Uh, speaking of uh, Donald Trump, message to Donald Trump and congressional Republicans. It's time to make the Obama health care law more effective. Stop trying to scuttle it. That is the resounding word. From a national poll released today by the nonpartisan Kaiser Family Foundation, the survey was taken following last month's Senate derailment of the GOP drive to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare. According to this poll, around four in five want the Trump administration to take actions that help Obama's law function properly, rather than trying to undermine it. Four in five. That's like 80 percent. Just three in 10 are interested in uh, Trump and Republican Republicans continuing their drive to repeal and replace the statute. Most prefer that they instead move to shore up the law's marketplaces, which are seeing uh, rising premiums and in some areas, few insurers are willing to sell policies ominously for the GOP. This uh, study finds especially heading into an election year, six in ten say that Donald Trump and congressional Republicans are responsible for any upcoming health care problems since they now control the government. And by nearly two to one, most say it's good that the Senate rejected the GOP repeal and replace uh, attempts last month in the U.S. Senate. But you will be shocked to learn that while the Senate's next move is still unknown, Donald Trump ain't listening to the American people, at least not those that are found in that uh, Kaiser Family Foundation survey. And now we have still more evidence of the administration's ongoing efforts to actively sabotage the Affordable Care Act, the law of the land for millions of Americans uh, and uh, to, in fact, help raise health care premiums for everybody. We'll ask 
TPM's Alice Olstein, who has a new exclusive on all of this about that and much more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Alice Olstein joins us very momentarily, and she will know. She always does. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right. In its cover letter announcing an increase in healthcare insurance premium rates for 2018, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey makes no bones about who and what they blame for an average 22% increase in premium rates. For 2018, quote, changes in or uncertainty about federal policy caused the average premium rate to increase significantly. They write in the letter Horizon's average rate increase would have been less than 10 percent, but for the factors created by the federal government. Approximately 235,000 members who purchase individual policies will be affected, they say. However, the 118,000 members who receive premium tax credits via the Obamacare exchanges are partially or completely insulated from the rate increase, they note. For 2015, 2016, and 2017 policy years, they explain, the average rate increases have been 0%, 11%, and 9%, respectively, But this year, for 2018, they're going to be 22%. Unfortunately, they say some costs are beyond Horizon's control. The ACA created an individual mandate that requires everyone to have health insurance. When everyone buys health insurance, the cost of care is spread out evenly among a larger group, and that lowers the cost. When fewer people buy health insurance, the costs of care are spread among fewer people, and the cost per person goes up. While the individual mandate is still the law, they write, Washington, specifically the Trump administration, has made it clear that they are not going to enforce that mandate. That means fewer people will buy health insurance, which increases rates for those who do by eight and a half percent. Yes, the uh, Trump administration's promise to not enforce the health insurance mandate is costing you, at least if you live in New Jersey, costing you higher premiums in 2018. So uh, thanks, Obama. I mean, thanks, Donald Trump. Failing to enforce the individual mandate is just one way that the Trump administration is now actively attempting to sabotage the landmark health care law that he claims is hurting Americans and failing. It's not failing for the most part, but where it is, the Trump administration is hoping to make it fail quicker and harder. And where it is not, he is hoping to make it fail there as well. Similarly, high rate increases are expected elsewhere, not just in New Jersey, for 2018. For all customers, 
not just Obamacare enrollees, due to that sabotage and other uncertainties about the health insurance markets. Thanks to the continuing GOP efforts to repeal the landmark 2010 health care bill and the Trump administration's active efforts to undermine it in lieu of the Republican Congress being able to pass legislation to do so themselves. A new bipartisan study this week released by the Kaiser Family Foundation finds that the Trump administration's own actions are helping to trigger double-digit premium increases on individual health insurance policies purchased by many customers across the country. The analysis found that mixed signals from Donald uh, Trump have created uncertainty, quote, far outside the norm, leading insurers to seek higher premium increases for 2018 than would otherwise have been the case. We've previously reported, in addition to plans to stop enforcing the individual mandate, that the Trump administration is cutting the length of the open enrollment period in half this year. Trump's Health and Human Services Department has stopped advertising uh, that was meant to encourage signups and have, in fact, diverted money for that effort into propaganda efforts, literally propaganda efforts, creating videos to attack the very federal law that they are supposed to be enforcing. And as we discussed with a guest from Families USA a week or two ago, one of the nonprofit healthcare advocacy groups, which has long contracted with the federal government, HHS has now decided to cancel some $22 million in contracts to fund programs at local libraries and community centers that has had assisted people uh, signing up for the Affordable Care Act in person in some 18 major cities around the country where sign-up rates have been historically among the lowest in the country. Moreover, Donald Trump has been threatening for a number of months now to cut off the so-called cost-sharing reduction payments, or CSRs, to insurance companies to help cover costs for low-income enrollees. Uncertainty about whether that could happen has also been cited by some insurers as reason for raising premiums for everyone in 2018. And now, as Alice Olstein reports this week in an exclusive at Talking Points memo, yet another tactic that appears to be a direct attempt at sabotaging Obamacare has come to light, specifically in Latino communities which are disproportionately underserved. Here now to discuss that new exclusive and uh, certainly related matters such as what is the next step for the GOP's endless campaign to undermine health care in America is our friend Alice Olstein. She's a reporter at Talking Points Memo, where she covers national politics and has for the past month been mercilessly covering Congress and their so far failed attempts to repeal the Affordable Care Act. She's been covering Supreme Court, Congress and national elections in D.C. since 2010. Her work has aired on Free Speech Radio News, All Things Considered, Ch- uh, Channel News Asia, and even the broadcast. Her writing has been published by The Atlantic, La Pignon, and The Hill Rag, and we're delighted to have her back on the broadcast. Hey, Alice Olstein, welcome back. Great to be here. Uh, first, I need to congratulate, frankly, uh, you and uh, your, your uh, partner, uh, Caitlin, there, Caitlin McNeil at TPM. Mm-hmm. Your coverage was uh, day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute coverage of the mess going on in Congress and in the hallways there during a health care attempted repeal was incredibly helpful and ridiculously comprehensive, Alice. Oh, thank you. It was a wild ride for, for yeah. those months, really, since it started in the House. 
Yeah, I mean, I was exhausted following it out here. I can only imagine how exhausting it must have been for you guys. Uh, hope, hopefully you've had a, a, a week or so to compress from that a little bit. Um, well, the great thing about August is that Congress leaves town and reporters have time to do some investigative work. Mm-hmm. And that's what you've done here, which is greatly appreciated. So let's, let's talk about your new exclusive at TPM. Trump admin abandons Latino outreach for Obamacare signups. What happened? What are they doing? Uh, what are they doing now to under, uh, undermine Obamacare? Well, it's more about what they are not doing. Mm. So when uh, on on this entire front, and you mentioned in your intro so many different ways that mm-hmm. uh, the Trump administration is working to dismantle or make more difficult various aspects of the law. So I wanted to look at what what work was HHS doing at this exact time a year ago to make the law function mm. and when I talked to a bunch of former people uh, who worked there, um, they said that these partnerships were really revving up, these partnerships with tons of outside groups and corporations and religious organizations and health organizations to get the word out and work with the government to promote information about open enrollment, which this year starts in November. And so I looked up what all of those partnerships were, and there were just dozens and dozens and dozens. And I started calling the groups one by one and asking them, have you heard from the government this year about whether that work will continue? And every single one said, no, we have not. And I found um, a very stark pattern, uh, particularly with the groups that focused on Latino enrollment, which, like you said, Latinos have... Uh, the highest rate of uninsurance out of any racial demographic. They also disproportionately live in states like Texas and Florida that did not expand Medicaid. Mm. And so getting them to sign up for the individual market was a big goal of the Obama administration. And those partnerships for outreach leading up to open enrollment are so far not happening this year and hhs did not respond to my question about whether they will happen later it's kind of amazing you report that uh normally this time of year a flurry of activity would be going on for these uh, groups with intense preparation regular meetings with health and human services hhs and the white house in the months leading up to the start of enrollment which uh, well, it used to start in November. I'm not sure what it's been cut in half this year, but uh, well, it's cut in half on yeah. the back end. So it starts in November this year, but it mm-hmm. ends mid-December instead of end of January. Okay. Uh, and so normally <clears throat> they would be hearing from working with the White House and HHS, and they're doing nothing, or at least they they're they're hearing nothing from either HHS or the White House. Even notes to say, "Hey, you guys are on your own this year. We're not working with you." That's right. Uh, so last year and the years previous, every year starting in late 20, every year since 2013 when the exchanges began to launch, these groups worked with HHS and that work started in the middle of the summer. They had weekly meetings, in-person phone calls, they developed campaigns together, they developed social media campaigns, on-the-ground campaigns, they had members of the Obama administration come to in-person events, health fairs, to speak about the importance of the law. They had Michelle Obama making videos about why signing up was important. Uh, They got celebrities in on the game, anything they could to promote enrollment, specifically among young people, because if you don't have young people signing up for health insurance, Mm -hmm. the premiums go through the roof. 
Do we do we know for certain uh, through your reporting, Alice Holstein, if if this is literally actually sabotage on the part of the administration or is this simply just another sign of an incompetent administration that doesn't have enough people that they're just failing to carry on you know well-established effective policies that were enacted by the by the previous administration i'm trying to give them a benefit of the doubt here they probably don't deserve but does your reporting tell you whether this is on purpose or not um no, uh, HHS did not respond to my questions as to their plan for any kind of outreach. And, you know, some of these groups were, you know, very progressive activist groups. So it mm-hmm. makes sense that maybe the Trump administration would not want to actively work with them, partner with them. But they didn't respond to me asking, well, are there other groups you might want to work with instead? Or is there a different way you might want to do outreach this year? And I, I just haven't heard anything. Mm-hmm. What we can document is that these partnerships that were effective in the past are not happening now. If uh, if the administration efforts to work with these groups, and you're talking about hundreds of groups, right, reach out mm-hmm. all over the country, uh, do, do those groups, specifically the Latino groups you've been talking to, do they plan to push ahead anyway on their own this year, even without uh, cooperation from the administration? Yes, they do. They all plan to do their own outreach. They plan to have health care fairs that are not just about signing up for insurance on the exchanges. They're also just about generally leading healthy lives. They plan to do social media campaigns and various campaigns to get the word out. But they all said that without that collaboration with the federal government, they won't reach nearly as many people or have the same impact that they had in the past. Well, I mean, is there any question at this point uh, whether this particular effort was on purpose or just, uh, you know, the the administration dropping the ball? Is there any uh, question uh, from your reporting that these are now active measures, not just this, but the other ones I mentioned, that these are active measures to purposely try to harm uh, harm this law? I mean, we only have what the president and the secretary of health and human services have said publicly, um, criticizing the Affordable Care Act, saying that it's dead or it will implode, and then uh, taking these steps that, in effect, bring that about. Um, we can't <laughs> we can't know what uh, their you know personal mm-hmm. goals or, or thoughts are. We can only go from the public record. In a separate article uh, on Friday, you also reported that the nonpartisan uh, CBA, the Congressional Budget Office, has announced they're going to release a report uh, in uh, next week, in the coming days, on the impact of cutting off Obamacare's cost-sharing reduction payments, as uh, as Trump has uh, has threatened. What exactly are those CSRs? Uh, and uh, what do we know prior to the CBO report about the effect of cutting off those? payments as he's threatened uh, on on the ACA and on the insurance market overall. Right. Well, these payments have been for months the subject of a lot of speculation and uncertainty, Mm -hmm. and that uncertainty is already driving insurers to leave some areas and to raise their rates. And these are billions of dollars in payments from the federal government to insurance companies that help subsidize the cost for people with very severe health needs who are very expensive to insure. And before the Affordable Care Act, the insurer could just say, I won't insure you. I won't cover you. Um, You have a pre-existing condition. Sorry. 
And now that they are required by law to cover everyone, these subsidies um, help that happen. And so without them, if they are cut off by the Trump administration, that will send the market into a tailspin. And uh, it's sort of been a month-by-month uncertainty what is going to happen. And because of that and because of the uncertainty and the damage it's already doing to the market, folks in Congress are starting to work on possibly writing a bill that would appropriate that money and lend some security, maybe a year of payments, Mm -hmm. so that they can work something else out in the meantime to take that power away from the president. And that would that would make those payments mandatory. It wouldn't be up to the whatever executive is is in the office if they passed it. Of course, they'd have to. Uh, Trump would have to sign such a bill. But uh, barring any poison pills added to it, do you expect that Democrats would come on board and potentially uh, help offer a veto-proof majority on such a on such a bill? Democrats are definitely interested in appropriating the CSR payments, as are several senior Republicans. Um, I I think the issue is some of the more Tea Party wing in Congress say that this money is a bailout, it's propping up the ACA, which is a failed system, and we shouldn't make, we shouldn't throw any more money at this problem. And you have the president who, as you said, may object and may try to veto it. The uh, 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 speaking of the president, Trump has been mercilessly trolling Senate uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in in recent days for his failure to pass that repeal in the Senate, uh, sort of haranguing him to keep trying uh, via Twitter. Are there any signs that tactic is actually working? And in fact, wouldn't passing legislation to force the administration to pay those uh, cost sharing reductions, wouldn't that be pretty good payback for all of that trolling? Well, I can say that the trolling is not having the effect that the president is hoping to have. Um, the co- uh, members of Congress, before they left town, when I when I spoke to them, were not interested in running at the wall again on health care. They all said it's time to move on. Um, Senator Bob Corker said it's in the rearview window, um, and they are all talking about tax reform. Now, <laughs> that is not sitting well with the president, although... Who knows? Uh, mm-hmm. Next week could bring an entirely different message. Yeah, and I want to talk about what may come next, but very quickly, you also report today that uh, what you describe as a potentially ominous sign that uh, this week the Department of Health and Human Services announced they will push back the August deadline for insurers to file their rates for 2018 until early September. Why is that an ominous sign? What does that tell us, Alice? Well, one of my sources who uh, works in a state uh, that um, working on uh, insurance regulation said, flagged this for me and said that there is a lot of concern that the only reason why such a deadline extension would be happening is if some major change was coming and mm. the, one of the only major changes possible in the next few weeks is um, are these CSR payments, which are due um, around... August 20th. Wow. And then they'll suddenly announce uh, we're not going to make these payments and insurers suddenly have to scramble to change their rates and presumably increase a lot of them in order to make up for it if that happens. Uh, Alice, it's it's my sense that (laughs) Republicans will never give up on repeal. Uh, but but uh, I'm a lot farther away from Congress than you are. What what does your reporting tell us? What is the next step for for the GOP on health care in Congress when they return from uh, 
from their August recess after Labor Day? I, I agree that it is not ever, I don't think it will ever be dead. I think this will always be a goal of Republicans, and I think that there will be attempts in the future. I do think it is likely to sort of go underground for now, mm-hmm. um, especially with Senator McCain out. We don't know what's going to happen to him, but they were extremely close. I mean, they passed it in the House. They passed it. Uh, they almost. They came within one vote of yep. <laughs> passing a completely different bill in the Senate. So I, I don't think the lesson is that they completely failed miserably and there's no hope for them. I think that uh, depending on what happens with next year's elections, for example, there more attempts are very likely. Uh, very quickly on the Democratic side, uh, Bernie Sanders has promised to introduce a single payer Medicare for all style proposal in the U.S. Senate when they return from the recess. Uh, a similar single payer universal health care bill has been proposed in the U.S. House already. It's garnered for the first time, I believe, more than uh, half of the Democratic caucus in the House. Uh, does your reporting, Alice, uh, report uh, that there's does your reporting suggest that there is actually any real momentum for this on the Democratic side yet? Or is this sort of simply a response to the hapless repeal and replace efforts by, by the GOP? Or is it a, a real attempt by Democrats to finally tap into this rather popular idea of a Medicare for all system? Well, I think it's interesting because this entire year so far, they've just had to play defense and to defend the law that's already on the books on so many different fronts, and that has been the goal both of members of con- Democratic members of Congress and outside progressive groups. Everyone's attention has mm-hmm. been on just making sure that a repeal, repeal bill doesn't pass. Now that that threat is temporarily lifted, yeah. um, I think you're going to see not just that proposal, but a lot of interesting proposals about how to sort of play offense um, in the healthcare space and. I think that could be very interesting, and you're already seeing some signs of bipartisanship in the House uh, Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, for example. They're working on a stabilization bill so to stabilize Obamacare's uh, individual insurance market. So I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things in the fall. Uh, are, are you getting a sense that this is a real movement now? Because, I mean, you know, certainly Bernie Sanders fans, but a lot of Democrats have uh, been kind of mad at, uh, at, at Democratic leadership for not being more aggressive in pushing for something like Medicare for all. I, I'm just trying to sense if, if this is mm-hmm. a real thing or if this is just a political thing or maybe both. I don't know. Well, since they don't have the numbers to actually pass any bill of any kind, right. um, and Republicans will certainly not join in on something like that, I think that it is a good way to show the base that they are listening and responding to some of their demands. Uh, much as the Republicans said, hey, put us in power and we'll uh, repeal Obamacare, <laughs> uh, Democrats better be careful if they say, hey, put us in power and we'll uh, pass single payer, because... A lot of people would really like that. Alice Olstein, really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, as ever, uh, you can find her work at TalkingPointsMemo.com and, of course, on the Twitters at Alice Olstein. Uh, congrats on that uh, scoop uh, concerning the Latino groups. Thanks for that, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Okay, quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report and Desi Doyen. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey! 
Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. You know, uh, Desi Doyen, I, I hope it is not as jolting for our listeners as it is for me, in truth, going back and forth between... Oh, you know, apocalypse, World War Three <laughs> coming, and uh, oh, concerns about healthcare. Well, you know, it's we're we're an all service all around. Let's cover everything well, if we can. Well, no, we are, but it's like <laughs> it is. It's so bizarre where we are in this world right now. Yes. Uh, to have this kind of saber rattling going on, and yet all of these important other other things that are going on that, that we also ne- have to pay attention to be to. covered. Yes, yeah, indeed. Uh, so anyway. Uh, well, speaking of jolting, I guess it is time uh, for our latest Green News Report. Evidence for a changing climate abounds from the top of the atmosphere to the depths of the ocean, and Americans are feeling the effects of climate change right now. Federal scientists leak climate assessment report. Just because we pulled out of the Paris Accord doesn't mean we don't believe in climate protection. Trump administration officially files to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement, but may want to stay in. EPA report proves environmental regulations don't hurt the economy. Plus, good news. Keeping Obama's climate policies would save Americans $350 billion. (laughs) All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It was released and leaked out of fear the Trump administration could change or support press the report. So, we now live in a world where climate science has to be leaked. Where we're going to have our local weather from? Whistleblowers in a shadowy garage? <laughs> Welcome to my world. This is your Green News Report. It's going to be unseasonably warm this weekend. Highs in the low 90s. You didn't hear it from me. Okay, Desi Doyen, what a world. We are now (laughs) leaking climate reports because we're afraid that the president of the United States will not sign off on actual science. (laughs) That's right. Thirteen federal agencies have offered the strongest conclusions yet that human activity is altering the planet's temperature. Federal scientists released a final draft version of the sweeping federal report to the New York Times, reportedly to ensure that its conclusions receive the widest possible public attention and to preempt any potential changes by Trump administration political appointees. The National Climate Assessment compiled every four years 
years by law. In it, the scientists warn that burning fossil fuels is already driving a steep increase in extreme weather disasters like heat waves, droughts and floods, and in rising sea levels that are impacting Americans now in every single state, saying, quote, humanity is conducting an unprecedented experiment with the Earth's climate system. There are no alternative explanations. So this was leaked to the uh, to the media because they were concerned that the administration might change it before the administration must approve it in about a week or two. Yes, the report directly contradicts everything that President Trump and his administration have said about global warming. That final approval is due August 18th, and it will be interesting to see how and if anything changes. And if they sign it, oh, what a tangled web we weave. Just one or two more points from that report. It concludes that recent decades have been the warmest in 1,500 years. The average temperature in the U.S. has risen rapidly since 1980, and human activities are responsible for the majority of the global temperature increase since 1950. They warn that unless carbon emissions are cut now, global temperatures will continue to rise with increasingly dire effects on the lives of all Americans. Oh, man, they can't approve that. August 18? Yep. We'll be watching. Meanwhile, the Trump administration this week informed the United Nations that it still intends to withdraw the U.S. from the historic Paris Climate Agreement, but in the meantime, it intends to keep its seat at the negotiating table, in part to, quote, work with other countries to help them access and use fossil fuels more cleanly and efficiently. Oh, I'm sure those other countries will welcome them very much. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley on the Today Show this week said that the Trump administration's withdrawal from the Paris Climate Agreement doesn't mean they don't actually believe in climate protection. We're not saying that climate change is not real. It is real. It's how do you have that balance between making sure you've got jobs and businesses moving and then also making sure you protect your climate. Actually, a new Columbia University study debunks those false assertions. The study found that the Obama administration's climate policies would, if left in place, actually save Americans more than $340 billion dollars a year by 2030 from avoiding the costs of environmental damage from climate change, like damage to agricultural growing regions, for example, and savings on health care costs, and that the policies would spur innovation, which spurs jobs. Finally, Trump's own EPA just debunked Trump on the cost of environmental regulations. A new report from the EPA mandated by law that was released this week proves that environmental regulations don't hurt the economy. The EPA touts that since the passage of the Clean Air Act in 1970, the U.S. economy has more than tripled. The amount of energy used has surged along with the population. And at the same time, the levels of six major toxic pollutants have declined dramatically, with Americans suffering fewer unhealthy air quality days than ever before, and with visibility at our national parks improving substantially. Don't waste their time with facts, figures, numbers, and provable statistics. You ought to know that by now, Desi Doyen. <laughs> For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Thank you. 
very much, Desi Doyen. We can breathe a little easier. Yeah, not for long. This uh, just in from AP. Trump offers reassurance to residents of Guam, says, I feel like they will be very, very safe, despite uh, his threats, uh, actually, (laughs) despite the threats from North Korea against Guam. Yeah, and of course now the Guam Department of Homeland Security has, by the way, put out flyers for everybody there saying, here's what you need to do in case of an attack. Exactly. Stuff it's like, literally like duck and cover stuff. Yeah. Don't look at the flash. Avert your eyes. Yeah. Fantastic. And as if that's not enough, uh, Trump also says he won't rule out military options in Venezuela. Says, quote, it's something we could pursue. Destabilization for everybody. It's working great. Love it. All right. Uh, thank you again, Desi Doyen, our producer, and to my guest today, Alice Olstein of Talking Points Memo, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us on the broadcast. It's greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can send me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And I hope you will find and follow us and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. My thanks, as ever, to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try so hard to do every day over your public airwaves. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 